Welcome to Ecom Experiments, everybody. I'm here with Allison Roach, the operations manager at Ready Set. Allison, thank you for coming on. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. This is actually my first podcast invitation, so a potential pivotal moment in my career. Um, happy to be here. Yeah, happy to be a part of this pivotal moment. Um, very excited. So we we go back a little ways, and you, I know, have a history in kind of performance marketing agency life. But Ready Set is all about video ads, right? Correct. Yeah, we exclusively make video ads. We test smartly. Um, we're looking to really capture the top of the funnel and acquire new customers for our clients. Okay. So this is something I don't. I would say I don't know much of anything about, which is is great. Can you can you talk a little bit about this world of video ads? I imagine we're talking like social media or all over the place. What does it look like? What do you focus on? What is the testing about? Tell us what you yeah. do. Yeah. So I, a little bit of context on me. I have six years of experience in performance marketing and I started out in creative. So I was a sponsored content writer, mm -hmm. a copywriter, um, moved into project management when I realized I had a knack for organizing things and people um, and eventually moved into operations with, with ReadySet. So what we do is we create social media videos that perform at scale that are on brand for our clients. And the marriage of brand and performance is really key for us. You'll find a lot of agencies that focus on one or the other. Um, brand heavy focus can tend to be slow and costly. On the flip side, performance focus can tend to be a little lower cost, faster, but might not have the brand value that a client is looking for in the end deliverables. So we try to do both. And that really comes from the marriage and the genesis of our, our company, which was Sambu McAloo um, coming from Nanigans, a performance background as an operations manager, and John Gargiulo, who was at Airbnb and comes from a creative background. So it's very much that dichotomy of John, the visionary looking five, 10 years in the future, Sam, the operational executor, seeing what we can do now to deliver value to our clients. And then John coming from that brand perspective, Sam coming from that performance perspective, because they saw a real need in the market for a company that does both well. So that's, that's the, the context. And to be frank, it took us about two years to really nail that service. We've just seen it starting to click in the last four to six months. And that's come with some huge growth for the company. So I've been with Ready Set since December 2019. I was employee number four um, in operations manager as my position, which is pretty cool that they invested in operations up front that early as a startup. Yeah. Now we are a team of 50 plus uh, core employees working around the world. Um, Since with, 2019? Uh, the so. company was founded in 2018. So about a year before I started. But four people in 2019, 50 plus now. Okay, nice. Something's yeah, not excluding, not including contractors, part-time yeah. people that we work with and external vendors. So definitely a lot of growth, which has been very interesting. This is the first startup I've been a part of that I've seen that sort of intense growth period and started with this early. So it's been quite a ride, but it's been really cool to see, like I was saying, that market fit clicking. So to see clients coming back, retaining with us, seeing the value to their bottom line and also the value to their brand, which means that we're fulfilling our mission and now we're looking to scale. 
Let me ask you about this trade-off or tension or delicate dance or whatever it is between performance and brand. I'm curious, what does it look like if you decide you just don't care about brand at all? Just forward performance, nothing else. I've heard that on occasions, I've talked to people who've run experiments where the, the video literally had nothing to do with the product. And that was where they landed as a winner. Like what, what's your perception of that world of the performance first brand, less of a consideration type of conflict? Like what does that stuff look like? Yeah. In my experience, if you're entirely performance focused, you're looking for speed and scale. Those are the two, two main things. So you're looking to get hits and you're looking to get them quickly. Um, and you're looking to see them scale quickly as well. Uh, for a company that's more focused on brand, you're more concerned with lifetime value, I'd say, of your customer. So you're looking to build a relationship with that, that audience, uh, show the value of your product to them in all the touch points that you reach them at, build that long-term relationship, but also see that performance um, on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, TikTok, uh, wherever you are and see those returns to your bottom line. So I've seen both sides. I've seen performance marketing that can be quite hacky, can look a little spaghetti throwing. You often, when you run that fast, uh, you sacrifice learnings, so insights along the way. But on the flip side, if you're very heavily brand focused, very precious about your brand, you might not find the performance that you potentially could because you're slower to produce, you're slower to get into market. We all know that Facebook ads fatigue, so you need to be consistently testing on the platform with fresh creative. So that can mean stops in your pipeline for creative, which can affect your overall bottom line revenue. Okay. I, I don't know if I knew that actually about fatigue on Facebook. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what what, what's maybe a minimum? How, how often should you be refreshing your creative before you should really be worried that you're moving too slow? It's a good question. And it's really dependent on your targeting. Um, mm, as far okay. as my understanding goes, depends on the size of the pool you're fishing in. Right. Like how many people are in this audience? How many times have they seen it? It's kind of a function of that versus just time. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it's, it's okay. Have they seen that creative? How many times have they seen it? Have they already mm-hmm. actioned it? You get to a point where everyone in that pool has seen the ad. They've either either followed through with it or they're not interested and they're going to continue scrolling past it. And that's when you need to introduce new, fresh concepts and creative. Okay. One of the things I want to ask you about in terms of that is, can you talk about some of the, like, what are some of the variables you can tweak in creating this video content. Like we've talked about just the speed of delivery, stuff that's, I guess, maybe hastily produced versus stuff that's more professionally produced, takes longer, but what else as far as the content? Like what what can be different about videos that you might try for a client? Our first concern with any campaign is to focus on thumb stop. So the beginning of the video, you are capturing attention and people are sticking around to watch the rest. In that, you can play with the visual style. Is it straight live action footage? Is it a boomerang? Is it 
a cinemagraph? Is it stop motion, slow motion? How is it visually arresting? Why would someone want to continue to watch? Mm -hmm. Messaging at the top of an ad also is very important. So putting a benefit in your first super and in your first audio uh, is best practice and something that we always start out with testing. Also in thumb stop, you can think about things as minute as having a single point of focus in the frame. Is there something that immediately captures your eye? Is there a logo visible in the first frame? So you're wow. building some brand awareness, even if they don't follow through on the whole video. Once you've captured the thumb stop, you want to start building consideration. And then you start to think more about what the content looks like and the messaging within that content. So are you thinking about the core benefit types that you are offering? with your messaging? Do they map to our hierarchy of needs like sexual companionship, comfortable living situations to enjoy life? Uh, are you providing evidence that is, you know, convincing and, mm -hmm. and persuasive? Are you offering third party evidence like user testimonials, reviews, facts and figures from external sources to corroborate your claims? Um, are you showing the product? Are you showing it being delivered? Are you showing it being unboxed? Are you showing how the product shows a valuable end result? And then once you've cinched the consideration, you would move into the call to action. So really your ending of the video, do you have a strong offer? Do you have a guarantee? Do you have a payment plan? What are those levers that you can pull to really make the offer and the service or product enticing? And are you giving a clear next step to take to the user so they know what the expectations is, expectations are and their expectations meet reality when they click through and they hit the funnel? Some of the stuff is, is familiar to me. I can kind of map it onto the, the type of work I'm more familiar with on the website post-click the idea of uh, appeal to emotions and kind of, you know, honoring, naming the emotion that bring someone to seek out a product or service and then the appeal to reason and the facts and figures and all that. So, you know, we, we got that on the website too, but then some of the stuff you just mentioned, I, I don't know the first thing about like the, something as, as specific as a, a single point of focus in the opening frame is not like an experimental variable that I've ever really considered. Um, yeah. There's the a lot of stuff. The first threshold there would really be, is there a single focus? So when you first look at the video, is your eye immediately drawn somewhere? And then once it is, you can start to iterate on what that single point of focus is. And you would really oh. want to watch your video view time to see how people react to that thumb stop. So they're stopping, but for how long? Three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, making it all the way through the video. So video view time is a really key metric for us to know which segment of the ad to focus on in testing and iteration or new concepts. With all this stuff in mind, with the, you know, the angles and the type of content and video stuff, I guess, that maybe not all of us are, are really, it's not our day to day. Do you have maybe an unfair question, but I'm going to ask, do you have like any rules of thumb or guidelines or, you know, if, if I'm a total idiot and I'm on a shoestring budget, but I, I'm going to try my hand at this for better, for worse, and I'm going to put some, some video ads out on Facebook, Got any kind of like guidelines for me of what maybe is the most worth the attempt, most likely to work? Just general, not not product or service specific. Maybe we should pick one, I mm. guess. Um, 
I could, I always go to shoes. So you can feel free to overrule shoes and go with something more interesting, but if it works for you. Okay. Yeah. Shoes are great. I got a a shoe store. Yeah. I sell shoes on the internet and I want to, you know, bring some more visitors in and I want them to buy. And I've got a little bit of budget, a little bit of talent to put together some videos. Like how should I think about that? Or maybe should I just not? That's a fair answer too. If you want to say that. I think it always helps to go in with some sort of a framework. We use that thumb stop build consideration call to action, ABC framework quite often, but you can also think about larger persuasive frameworks like you would see in copywriting problem solution. Are you showing the problem that the user has or doesn't realize that they have? Are you saying it in their own words, their language so that they recognize themselves? And then are you showing the solution as something that they could really benefit from and something that they would really like to see in their lives? Are you showing how easy it is to get to that solution? Are you showing how that solution will impact them? There are, yeah, there are those larger frameworks that you can utilize, but I'd say brass tacks, if you're looking to really make something work on Facebook and you have one shot at it, make sure you're focusing on visually arresting stuff in the first two seconds, Mm -hmm. 1.5 seconds, really with people's attention, make sure you're giving them reasons to believe, and then make sure you're giving them reasons to act at the end. That's a, I think that's a great answer. That's a good mixture of a, a nice reminder that like come at it with a plan period. Don't just go press record and hope something great happens, but and you're really getting specific world. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which on a long enough timeline with enough budget, I'm sure, you know, with enough wall and enough spaghetti, we'll, we'll get there, but that's, that's really helpful. Okay. Yeah. And I would say too, with spaghetti testing, you're constantly reinventing the wheel because you are sacrificing insights and learning, right? So you're not building on your testing. You're just trying new things, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. iterating on the stuff that works to make it work better at scale. And those are the things that our clients work like care about. They care about performing at scale. They care about diversifying their platforms. So not being entirely reliant on the Facebook, Instagram ecosystem and they Uh care about learning. So if something doesn't work, fine, but they want an insight out of it. Why didn't it work? Can you say a little bit more about actually diversifying by platform? Like I, I have worked with a lot of folks who are really just completely beholden to Facebook, Instagram. What, what do you see as opportunities to at least, yeah, be less dependent or, or find some success elsewhere? Where should people be looking? Yeah. And to be transparent, I think most people are still largely beholden to the Zuckerberg verse, right? And so are we in our model. We primarily build ads for Facebook and Instagram, but we're more and more realizing and practicing the idea that the different formats within those platforms deserve different creatives. So something that you're putting in the newsfeed should look and feel different than something you're putting in stories because it's a different format and a different experience. Um, in terms of diversifying our platforms, we are really pushing into TikTok in particular because it has a young buying audience there. It's very engaging. People spend a lot of time on TikTok. I recently, I'm so such an old millennial, but um, I recently got onto TikTok and it consumed like two weeks of my life just scrolling through things. And the algorithm showed me things that I wanted to see. And that level of engagement is really hard to find for that younger cohort anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so we're all stuck on Facebook for now indefinitely. For now. 
But if your if your customers are on TikTok, TikTok, then potentially that's that's a place to go try to make some inroads. Yeah, and it's not to say that your Facebook and Instagram efforts won't diffuse to your other marketing efforts. Like in the case study that we'll look at later, this company saw their Facebook, Instagram buying heavily affect their search buying too. So their their branded search really Hmm. pumped up once they started to hit on Facebook and Instagram. So branded search, SEO, that's worth doing because it will build on what you're doing in the direct acquisition media buying that you're doing on social media. Let's actually, let's just go right into that. So we, we kind of came here to talk about this particular case study for, uh, for Wild Alaskan. And it's got a really nice write-up actually on Facebook. Congratulations, y'all. Well done. Thank and, you. And uh, just want to hear a, a little bit more behind the scenes, a little bit more of some of the nitty gritty, because you've talked through this. I'm fascinated by this iterative process where the the variables can be so minute. It, it's, it sounds really fun, really interesting. And so I'm just curious to hear more about how this happened, a specific example. So high level, tell us a little bit about this, this client, Wild Alaskan. What's, what's their business? Who are their customers? And what did y'all do together? Yeah, so Wild Alaskan Company, important. They like to be referred to as Wild Alaskan Company. Wild that's Alaskan part, Company. Yeah, that's part of their branding. So they are, are somewhat brand sensitive. Um, it's a family business. The founder, Aaron Kallenberg, is a third generation Alaskan fisherman. Um, So he established this online subscription service that delivers sustainable wild-caught Alaskan seafood to consumers directly. So it's a monthly seafood subscription. The benefit is to make sustainable, healthy seafood accessible as part of your regular diet. Um, Their customers, I looked a little bit into the demos that they provided us. They're typically 55 to 74 years old. They have at least Mm. one child. They're married. They're college educated. They own their own home and they like golf, gardening and gourmet foods. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's, that's the wider context of, of the company. And they ship all over the U S all over the U S I continental U S I will say. Yes. Okay. Well, cool. And so but I get the business model then kind of subscription. I, I at one point have consumed one of these subscription meat boxes. So this is similar experience, I guess, similar idea, but fresh Alaskan seafood sounds actually really, really nice. Okay. But yeah, how do you reach people and how do you sell it? And how do you convince people that they need a box of seafood to show up at their door? Yeah. The key thing is your main competitor in this instance is the grocery store. So you have to convince people that it's worth the effort and the cost to buy from a different source because of the health benefits, the lifestyle benefits. So as I start to go through what we've tested, you'll see how that comparison does perform. Like we tested wild versus farmed fish concepts um, and that performed really well. It's, it's important to note, I think, at the outset that ad performance evolves as it continues to run. So lagging mm-hmm. ads may come to exceed performance of those that were stronger out the gate, or a winning ad will eventually fatigue and decline, changing your results week over week. So we have an amazing performance director who monitors Facebook accounts across our clients and is consistently 
funneling that data back to our creative team so they know what's working, what isn't, and they know what to iterate on in, in our creative pipeline. I wanna make sure I understand this because this, is, this seems really important. Early on in, in any sort of experiment or campaign, you've got noisy data. I guess, is this yeah. part of what you're referring to? Okay, yeah. And so day one of launch, it might look like, wow, that's the highest conversion rate we've ever seen. It's a winner, but that's actually just the chaos of social media and web analytics. And as time goes by, it stops jumping around as much and it kind of settles to, to what we might think of as like a true conversion rate yeah, until it fatigues. Real, until it fatigues. I'd say that yeah. not being a media buyer by trade myself, I'd say the real test is when you try to scale. So you might have mm. something that comes hot in terms of your CPA, but if it doesn't spend much, if it doesn't scale, then it's not, it's not affecting your bottom line proportionately. Yeah. You want to find something that hits and then maintains those metrics as you put more money towards it. But that ad will eventually fatigue as mm -hmm. it swims in the pool and you catch all the fish. I don't know. This is a bad extended metaphor for this particular case study. Uh, yeah. So in this ad, we, we always start with broad strokes. So we do mm -hmm. look through the client account to see what they've ran historically, what's performed best for them historically. We set a benchmark KPI and metric within. So do they care about return on ad spend, cost per acquisition, huh. uh, cost per lead? They set that metric and we take anything that hits that metric or exceeds it as a hit ad and mm -hmm. something that we'd want to iterate on. So we start with found footage. We, we're all about giving our clients ads as soon as possible. So as we start to produce our own footage, we start with found footage and stills. And when I first started with Ready, Set, it was taking us 90 days from client signing to first ad delivery. Now it takes two weeks. So okay. a lot of improvement in terms of time to value, but that's made possible by using found footage, found assets. Um, so we, we used found assets and we, our first test was to iterate on the super benefit message out the gate. The super is the text that actually appears on the video screen. Okay, so we tried five different variations of benefits within that super right off the hop. And we had a hit ad right off the hop too. So it was exceeding their benchmark KPI metric. It was doing well. So we started iterating on that concept visually um, once we had a winner in terms of messaging and the full framework of the ad. And we also started creating new concepts because we know that that concept will eventually fatigue and we want to have something in the pipeline to supplement it once it does. Mm -hmm. Can I cut you off real quick and ask, in this case, you mentioned several KPIs and I, I find myself not really sure what, what I would choose, what I would think. Like ultimately, I guess you, what you care about is customer lifetime value for a business like this, a subscription business, but you need something that you can measure a, a little quicker than that. Can you talk about what, what y'all were optimizing for? Yeah, I think in this particular instance, it was cost per acquisition. So cost per result, that mm -hmm. tends to be the most relevant metric to our clients. I can't go into details about what that benchmark is because that's Fair. Uh, private, private for the client. Um, but that's the one that we see most often is cost per result tangibly in Facebook. If you want to mm -hmm. look at um, lifetime value, you might want to focus on something like return on ad spend. So you can see at least initially if how much they're spending in that first purchase from that mm, ad. Okay. Yeah. Um, but 
our primary indicator is typically cost per result. And a result in this case being like a, a sign up or a, a first order place kind of thing. Exactly. Got yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Cool. And so, um, I got a bunch of questions, I guess, and I need to settle on one. Like I, I think it's so. It sounds like you're you're starting off and you're just trying to get things out there as quick and as lean as possible. So found footage, I think I heard you say, but mm-hmm. with different supers, so different messaging on the same footage that you didn't create, it's just a starting place to get, to start gathering data, start running experiments. So when you get a, when you get a win on messaging in that way, I guess I'm curious to hear about, you touched on this, but how, how much do you believe that? How long do you hold on to that? To what extent do you decide, bam, we've nailed our message versus revisiting it periodically as you come up with new creative? I, I don't know if it's so much a regular cadence of revisiting it as it is monitoring performance continuously and responding mm-hmm. to it. So as that ad starts to fatigue, as that messaging isn't hitting that particular audience as hard, or they've already seen it and they're not interested, you need to refresh that messaging. So what we did with this hit ad out the gate was we started uh, visually variating, and then we did eventually variate on the messaging within the supers as well, because mm-hmm. we'll see there was one particular benefit message that ended up supplanting the original message that was the winner. Okay. Gotcha. And so, yeah, I guess, tell me a little bit about the visual variations over time. And it, it is helpful when you can explain the terminology like super, I didn't know what that meant. So that that's super helpful. Um, but yeah, what, what, what did you try? Like you started off with found footage. You, you mean like this stuff already existed on the client's site or previous campaigns, or it was already around. It's anything they could provide to us that they created for their historical ads before Mm -hmm. we started working with them. Got it. Yeah. So depending on the contracts or where it was produced, how it was produced, a lot of that can be provided to us. Mm -hmm. Um, It's when we start producing our own footage that we really have room to play in terms of visual variation and content variation. So we started out I, I don't have in my notes what the specific visual variations on this were. I mean, but... y'all do a lot of visual variations for a lot of clients. So all, all forgiven. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm curious <laughs> about the process, you know, kind of just what, yeah. what kinds of things you try and, and what kinds of things you learn. And so, yeah, tell us what you remember. Yeah. So you might have a, a winning super benefit. Our, our winning super benefit out the gate was fish this good doesn't come from a farm. And say, for argument's sake, that we started it out um, on top of a visual of beautifully cooked salmon. Mm -hmm. Get that delicious stuff going. Um, You could try a very different visual in terms of content by opening with unboxing the product or ordering the product online, like showing the UI, Uh the the buying um, process. You could open with user testimonials. You keep that super message the same. Um, but you iterate on what the content behind it looks like, mm-hmm. even as minutely as the visual style. So maybe it's live action footage that you cut into stop motion or slow down or oh. boomerang in some way to make it a little more visually arresting. And so from what you remember, where, where did this go? Like from the found footage and this initial kind of messaging that fish this good doesn't come from a farm, very strong. What yeah, about the visual you know, side? Did you get any serious wins with the visuals? Uh, 
Yeah. So we started producing, we always start producing user-generated content or UGC, like pretty Mm -hmm. much off the hop with any client. So that means finding talent, amateur talent, or straight up just regular people who want to film, try products, film themselves talking about it and send it on to us to use in ads. So we started sourcing talent for this. And we found that talent, eventually we found that talent at the opening of the ad, user-generated content showing the benefit to the end user performed really strongly. Um, So we started iterating in that way. We also found a new winning concept, which was a farmed versus wild concept. Mm -hmm. So both health focused um, in terms of its core benefit, but different tax in terms of how you approach it. And by the third week of us working with Wild Alaskan, over 75% of their spend in their account was from our ads. Okay, that's fast. So, so you found things that were starting to scale fairly quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. And a month in, our first delivered ad was still performing the best with a new super variation. One of those variations supplanted the original winner why fish should come from Alaska, not a farm. Um, In the second month, we started exploiting that farmed versus wild concept. So that's when we started incorporating more social proof through the UGC testimonials that were coming in through our personal internal production pipelines and unboxing testimonials quickly became our top performer. Um, At that point, we tried testing within that concept with different demographics. We tried testing a senior demo makes sense Mm -hmm. since their demographic does tend to skew older, but it didn't perform as well. We found that a social proof unboxing clip with a woman in her mid twenties performed the best. So we're performing at this point on two concepts. One is fatiguing, Mm -hmm. one is doing well. And eventually we hit on a third new concept, which was a focus on whitefish. So halibut, not salmon, halibut, Mm -hmm. cod, other, other whitefishes. Um, so we found those two hits and in tandem, you can't attribute all of Wild Alaskan's success to Wild Alaskan company's success, sorry, to us personally. Um, they also restructured their Facebook campaigns. They got smarter about their media buying. They removed budget as a constraint to scale and started utilizing bid caps instead to inform the auction. So those three things um, eventually allowed for a 4.5 time increase in purchases and a 20% decrease in their CPA, their key benchmark. Will you say the increase in purchases again? That sounded big? Four and a half times. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's massive. And yeah, this, I'll link out to the, to the case study in the show notes, but one of the things that did kind of stick with me is that part of the story is a, a drastic simplification of their overall ad management approach fewer ad sets just less stuff going on and more yeah, fewer focus less. yeah when you when you again not a media buyer by trade but i've spent a fair amount of time around media buyers and something is niggling in my brain that's reminding me that when you split up between campaigns too often you have too many campaigns running you can start competing against yourself in the auction, which is not what you want to do. You might want to fact check that one because it is coming from like right back here. So, okay. No, well, and and there's also, as we mentioned before, the, the kind of the chaos and the noise of, of early in a campaign. And it's only with a certain amount of data coming in that you start to trust the numbers you're seeing. And so if you, 
launch a hundred campaigns and you've got nothing but noise. So totally. It makes it really hard to find the directional data. Yeah. The other side of it though, is if you're going to constrain yourself to, to just a handful of ad sets, then what are you going to run? What are you going to test? What are you going to try next? Which it, like, I'm just fascinated by this conversation because there's like, it blows my mind how many variables there are down to the same footage, but chopped up roughly versus smooth versus sped up. So, oh yeah. Or, or iterating in a, what's the word? Modular way, iterating in a modular way. So taking the end of an ad and trying it at the front, moving around bits of the build consideration, um, seeing what works the best in terms of thumb stop and then what works the best in terms of ultimate conversion. Those are mm -hmm. the two things that you really want, want to see happening. So I'd say to anyone who has top performers in their account and doesn't know where to go from there, iterate on that stuff. Take that same visual, iterate on the messaging. Take that same messaging, iterate on the visual. Make sure that you test one variable at a time against each other so you know which is the actual winner. Mm -hmm. um, don't test too many different variations within a single test. That's just, yeah, going to lead you to, to spaghetti territory and not learning anything. Awesome. I'm, I'm curious, maybe kind of one last to tie it all together. A question about this is you've done a bunch of these, a bunch of these campaigns, tons of tests. We talked about this particular one with Wild Alaskan Company. Any, is there anything that you kind of took from this particular client campaign initiative that, that has sort of changed the way you approach future projects like this? Yeah, I don't know if it taught us anything particularly new, but it definitely confirmed a couple of strong assumptions of ours. Okay. One is that social proof in the form of user-generated testimonials is key to building consideration. An audience is always going to trust other people over the advertiser. Uh, the other is it's so important to do a mixture of exploring new concepts and exploiting winning concepts to keep mm -hmm. your pipeline of creative healthy and strong. You need to be able to mine the ultimate value from those winners and you need to keep that pipeline of new concepts ready to go for when they eventually fatigue. Um, a hit out the gate doesn't necessarily mean you can sit back on your heels because fatigue is real and um, people like halibut apparently. Okay, okay, good to know. And actually a, a question about that, like I, I'm starting to get a feel for how this looks when it's done right, where you do iterate your way to something that's scalable and you scale it and then you know that the moment's coming when it's gonna start to fatigue. And so hopefully you've gone back to the start and you're iterating your way to something else that, that yeah, will take over. Yeah, hopefully at that point you have a good strong concept that's starting to scale already so that yeah. can increase the performance of that. And on and on and on. And on and on in the loop, yeah. And just, just to confirm, the the thing that's at scale that's doing great right now and the thing that's slowly creeping up behind it to take its place eventually might be different along any any one of the many variables we've outlined yeah. here might yeah, be it wildly different might be a completely different format in terms of framework messaging mm -hmm. visuals length even like we used to make really short clips our average video time was around 15 to 20 seconds and as we became more direct response performance focused, we realized that you really do need more time length to build your argument. So now typically our ads run 30 to 45 seconds. 
And if someone makes their way through an entire 45 second ad and clicks on the landing page, like they're pretty highly incentivized or at least more incentivized than someone who's watched a 10 second boomerang and then decided to click. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, like, this sounds kind of fun, honestly. It, there's it a lot of fun. stuff that's kind of like beyond my skill set. But when I think about what we do on websites, it's, uh, of course, there's a case to be made for continually experimenting and updating. And of course, the market changes and people change. So sure, you know, experiment forever. But realistically, if you're aggressive about experimentation for six months, maybe a year, you will hit diminishing returns. Uh, yes. There, I said it, right? So it, you you land a, a much better understanding of what people are looking for, what they need. You, you solve UX problems on your site and then, you know, you, you, you've gotten there. But with this, like by the nature of the, the medium, you, you just have to have new experiments running all the time. Totally. Uh, to support your scale, right? Yeah. So you want to scale and then you want to maintain that level of spend. And if you don't have a good ad to spend it on, then you're just going to see decrease. Yeah. Okay. This is awesome. This, I, I learned a lot. Um, is there anything, anything else, anything I should have asked or anything we didn't cover that we should touch on? I don't think so. You asked very good questions. Oh, thanks. Um, okay. Is there anything that I didn't speak to that you're still interested in? Uh, you know, lots of stuff, honestly, like I might, I might just ask you back to go really deep <laughs> on this idea of um, user generated content and you know, what, what to look for and maybe some of the process around obtaining that. Um, I, I think that could be like its own topic in its own right, since oh. you've identified it as so important. Definitely. Yeah. Setting up a UGC team within our company was a big unlock and we needed mm-hmm. that dedicated team because it is a complicated process to source talent, to send them product, to have them upload their own footage to get it approved and then finally put it into an ad takes us about three weeks now, but was taking much longer before. So the only thing that takes longer than that is high fidelity studio shooting, which includes a lot of pre-production tends to take about four weeks for us. Um, But UGC in terms of its persuasiveness, I'd say can't be beat. Yeah. So not trivial to produce like process wise, uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, worth it back to me and my shoe store. And I don't really know what I'm doing, but at a minimum, maybe I ought to be taking those steps. So yeah, if if you're open to it, I I think that could be, we, maybe I could ask you because, you know, process is kind of your jam. So to kind of step through what it looks like to get going, get off the ground with a UGC production. UGC is the really good alternative to those who can't afford high production studio shooting. Um, you can incentivize your current user base to do this through giveaways, um, discount codes, contests. You can act like you don't have to make it as complex as we're doing it. You can have the people who are using your products create that content for you, throw it onto Facebook, see what happens. And then as you see what works in terms of demographics of that, those users, the messaging of those users, you can iterate in the same way that we've talked about. Cool. Okay. All right, so we'll be back with more on that. And um, I guess in the meantime, if anybody wants to hear more about what we talked about today, wants to pick your brain on UGC, I don't know if I should sign you up for that or not, but where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com backslash 
Allison Dash Roach, Allison with one L. Um, and you can find ReadySet at ReadySet.co. ReadySet.co. Awesome. Allison, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you for having me, Brian. Appreciate you.